Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. We're here on a Saturday night, 12, 12 a.m. on the East Coast. We've still got some Week 14 action, including some Sunday action that uh, is going to include the USC Trojans, but uh, but they are not part of our recap. We do have a lot to get to. Uh, we've got... Finally, an answer in that BYU Coastal showdown. We finally got some uh, solidifying of the top teams in the entire country, but I feel like we really need to begin uh, with Rice getting it done, twenty to nothing, <laughs> top twenty-five win. I, I I realized that Rice had been mentioned on this podcast probably six or seven times more often than the opponent that Rice played today. Barton, you've been you you singled him out. Mike Bloomgren, he was like that's that was Stanford's identity. That was your offensive line coach. Like that was somebody who helped forge what made Stanford Stanford the way we imagine it. He was going to go to Rice. He was going to make it happen. We've ridden it up and down with the Owls. Do, do you feel a little bit of validation with uh, Rice's top 25 win today? Yeah, well, little known fact, uh, Rice was my runner-up for my group of five fandom. And so there, there, is a, there is a part of me. It's very proud to see my Rice Owls pull off such a significant upset win in this shortened season. Uh, by the way, Brian Smith, their defensive coordinator, they shut out their top 25 opponent. Um, he is a Don Brown disciple. So, Well, Don Brown's getting washed out I right know, now. It's the, working the somewhere. <laughs> What's crazy, like, did you look at the box score for this game? I mean, Grant Wells was supposed to be the quarterback we were so excited about. And I know that, like, Brendan Knox, the Marshall running back, I said their name. Crap. Um, Marshall, <laughs> uh, running joke is that Marshall's been really good. And I feel like we don't talk about Marshall on the cover three podcast, but Brendan Knox, the running back for Marshall has been awesome all season. And Grant Wells stepped up. He was an instant impact freshman. He threw five freaking interceptions in this game. I mean, if you throw five interceptions, you're going to lose most football games. And especially against a team that's going to play ball control like rice, Jeez. Yeah, I was going to say, because Rice only had 215 yards of offense in this game. It's really hard to win a football game when you only have 215 yards of offense. But five interceptions. Yeah, I know. That's why it won. It's just, I was, because I looked it up, I was like, when the hell was the last time that happened? And it happens more often than you think, because in fact, it's happened, let's see, one, two, four times this season alone. (laughs) 
<laughs> Louisiana Tech beat UTEP with 210 yards. Kentucky beat Mississippi State with 157 yards. <laughs> Indiana beat Penn State in that great game at the start of the season with only 211 yards. And Mississippi State, again, involved in one of these games, but this time on the winning end when it beat Vanderbilt. Yeah, this is this is a day of big boy ball resurgence, you know. Another spot where we saw big boy ball resurgence was when Washington tried to big boy ball Stanford of all people, and Stanford big boy balled Washington back at them. Even though Stanford has been practicing in like Washington's practice facilities and like local community centers and parks, <laughs> like, and they went and they put it on Washington like we're back in 2012 or something. I told you guys on the lock spot. I said I, I just had a gut feeling about this one. I only took Stanford to cover, but it was just there was some sort of weird feeling about this game to me. I was like, I don't know. Is it still a distrust of Washington offensively because they were slow starting? Like they couldn't get anything going early. Eventually, Dylan Morris kind of, uh, I mean, what what do you see? Um, finishes 15 for 23, 254 yards. I, I didn't see from what I, like when I was checking in on this game, I never felt like Washington's offense was really dominant. Uh, what What are the issues here? I just... I don't think, I mean, they had some big plays. There, there was a 42 yard completion or two 42 yard completions, a 37 yard completion at 25. So they had some big plays in the passing game, but my concern going in was just that I don't think they're very explosive on offense. And I think that they're more conservative on offense. And I think that, like you said, Barton, they tried to play that Stanford big boy ball from a few years ago that we used to see, but I just don't know if Washington has the personnel for that yet. So we also see Cal take down Oregon that's a wrap. I mean, what what's interesting about the big about the Pac-12? Like we can get into like the minute uh, school by school interesting narratives and talking points, which we of course we are. But what what can you sell me on from the Pac-12 between now and December twentieth when we start to get into like bowl motivation pick 'em? I'll tell you what I'll sell you on. If USC beats Wazoo tomorrow, which is not a guarantee, but if it does, the Pac-12 needs to do what the ACC's done, what the SEC's done, what the Big Ten should do, and reconsider things and set it up so that its championship game can be USC and Colorado because we're looking at a situation where both USC and Colorado might be 5-0, and but Colorado will not be eligible to play in the Pac-12 championship even though its game against USC was canceled because of whatever the tiebreakers are, USC would get that spot over the buff. So the Pac-12 could be in a situation where it's keeping its two best teams out of the title game and just kind of handicapping its tiny little itty-bitty chances of getting a playoff berth to begin with. Jarek Broussard rushed for 300 yards today. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys know that? Yeah. <laughs> Their sack-adjusted rushing yards for Colorado – was 9.1 yards per carry. Uh, Arizona was 7.7 yards per carry. So they both could run the ball a little bit. But I, but Colorado's undefeated? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, like, is that possibly true? <laughs> yeah. Good football team. Good football team, man. Carl Durrell got the job in like June, and he's got them <laughs> undefeated. Coach of um, the year. I, 
I, yeah. I go back to, I mean, I feel like Emory put us onto that one early. Like Colorado's first game out, he he was like, listen, I think Carl Durrell's a pretty good football coach, and I'm going to buy into that. And I'll, I'll take Emory's word on that one. I was like, okay, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I was I I was more like eh, I don't know, <laughs> but no, he's proven to be right. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have not uh, at all yet talked about the top twenty five top twenty five game down in Conway, South Carolina, BYU. Any place, any time, any opponent, they pick up that check. They say, you know what, we can send that equipment truck right now. We will plan. Uh, all night, we will do all nighters to get ready for Coastal Carolina, but they go and they fall close, low scoring game. What's the what's the, what's the big feeling here? You know, I I owe you an apology, Barton. I also owe Danny an apology because what was it two weeks ago when we were getting into the debate about whether BYU should have accepted the game against Washington and I was making the argument for why it made sense for BYU to say no because you know Washington could have backed out and even though that's exactly what did happen I was wrong BYU should have taken that game against Washington because BYU might have beaten Washington Washington. (laughs) it lost to Coastal (laughs) but here's the thing though and and now we know like BYU when they took the game against Coastal, they sh- like they 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 lost. They should still be glad they took that game because they went and had an opportunity to prove something. They just came up short. And as fun as that game was, and as like that felt uh, that felt like the biggest game of the night. It was it had the best energy about it. It was the it was one of the the more entertaining games of the year. But that was not two playoff caliber yeah. teams on the field. Without it just doubt. wasn't. Yeah. And that's one and of the it, things that makes it tough about the game of the night, game of the day, game of the week type declarations. Like there is two different flavors behind when you understand that two big boys are out there, like two heavyweights are out there going like blow for blow. That wasn't what we saw. It was a great college football game. So much fun. But it was not two heavyweights going at it. Shout out to Jamie Chadwell in Coastal Carolina for getting that win. Shout out to the Black Swarm defense for doing a good job against that BYU offense that had been so prolific against so many teams. Um, you know, shout out to their bo- their bowling ball center. What is he five nine and two hundred eighty five pounds? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> getting it done. Let's go <laughs> get it done in the trenches. Uh, no, that was, I mean, it was a fun game. I do. I, I agree. Like there was like, there was a reaction on social media to it. Like that was the game of the year. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. pass. Let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit, guys. It was a fun football game. It wasn't the best game we've seen all year, but it was, I mean, I was impressed by the fact that coastal was really able to kind of dominate the ball on, you know, on the ground and just run pretty much not at will. Cause they weren't like busting off a ton of huge runs, but they were staying on schedule for the most part, the entire game, that offensive line. And I thought, cause I thought that was going to be like a serious problem for them in this matchup. I just thought BYU had too many athletes and kind of dudes compared to what coastal had, and they weren't going to be able to hold up over 60 minutes, but they didn't get like cute 
or try to, you know, like be sneaky and speedy. They just kind of got physical with them and they did enough and they won enough to keep the ball and keep control of the game. I mean, if you just told me Coastal's going to win this game while Grace McCall is only throwing for 85 yards, mm-hmm. I mean, like, well, how many times did BYU turn the ball over? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like that, that was just a really impressive performance from the shots, man. Kudos to them. Cougar left Myrtle Beach dissatisfied. Doesn't happen very often. <laughs> well, I think that was, I got to give the credit. I think Marty Smith was where I saw something. He tweeted something about that. It's good. It's a good line. Um, I mean, you know, if BYU might not even be down with caffeine, you know, how, how are you going to enjoy the flavors of Myrtle Beach? <laughs> um, all right. So, as we start to look at the way that things are starting to break down up top, we've got Ohio State's 40-point win against Michigan State. Texas a and All right, so I feel like there's... Hold two- on. I, I think we, we are... We are... I don't know how long we've been doing this pod. I think we got to hit the breaking news. Like, this... We're, we're doing... We're, this is basically an emergency pod. For Shane Beamer? Uh, yeah. Okay. We got a new head coach at South Carolina. Okay. We're going to bury the lead here. All right. Real quick. So later in the show, after the ad break, I will apologize to Iowa State and Texas A&M because I've been hating on y'all so (laughs) hard. Multi-platform hating. That has been me. I've been out here just against you and, and your love will come. But we do need to address the breaking news. So Shane Beamer head coach of South Carolina, many threads to this. We have included the um, sort of, I, I feel like our collective understanding is that former players have really helped push this to the finish line. Power brokers within the South Carolina community are all bought in. We also have other threads to explore, like how Louisville fans are <laughs> irate with Scott Satterfield's reported involvement with this job and Billy Napier getting to beat the drum after beating App State for the first time and being able to say, yeah, I talked to South Carolina. Nah, I'm good. I'm here at Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, and then like two minutes later, Bruce Feldman's reporting that they're hiring Beamer. So I don't know if that was as much Napier backing out or who might hey, have been. He might have said hey, no. Hey, no one ever no one ever offers a job and is yeah. turned down and no one ever like says no. You know, it that we we know how these things work. So twenty four seven uh has been on this. Mm-hmm. What what are the boots on the ground saying on the way this went down? Um, I don't know. I don't, uh, the, the mechanics of how this went down or what the chronology of this was over the course of this evening. I don't know. Uh, more generally, I'd like to, to, to dig in on this a little bit. Um, I, I am, I don't know whether hires are going to be good hires or bad hires. It's impossible to know. And I think it's, I think being in that room, interviewing somebody, having the conversations that you have uh, from references and former players and sitting in an interview room and, and hearing the vision, all those sort of things are, um, are, are how you figure out if a hire is going to be a good hire. And, and, and I wasn't in those conversations, but I don't get it, man. <laughs> I don't get it. The South Carolina just 
fired Will Muschamp and were like, we're not going defense again. We're like, so they went special teams. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? Like, I, I, I do not, I do not personally know Shane Beamer. Never talked to him in my life. Um, I feel a little bit left out because I think everybody else seems to have a really good relationship with them because <laughs> everybody's got, got a lot of good train. relationships with all the right people in the media. It's what sure. it feels like. It's what yeah. it feels like. It feels like he is just, you know what? Like he's made a lot of friends, had made many enemies and um, he's associated with Lincoln Riley. And I, I mean, Look, like I said, I'm. I am. I, I didn't think Carterell was going to be a good hire, um, and it appears that it, ha- it has been. I I think I did say I thought Sam Pittman would be a good hire, but I don't know. That felt a little different than this to me for some reason. Um, I just don't. Like, I I just don't know. Like that. This is a risky move for South Carolina to to after hiring Will Muschamp with his resume to go with another sort of like not exactly bulletproof resume. And you got a guy like Jamie Chadwell sitting here in the your backyard. You're, you're making the Shane Beamer hire the night that Jamie Chadwell and coastal Carolina in your own state win like the biggest game of the weekend to, to continue an undefeated season and probably creep up towards the top 10. Like this is just a little bit like I, like the whole time when he was, when his name was emerging, I was like, okay, well surely this is just like, you know, him pulling the strings that he's got of his, his media cronies. No, I guess this was the real deal all along. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not surprised that it happened just because all the word in recent days and weeks was pointing to this was it was going this direction. But it's still if when if when the South Carolina job first came open and I was with you when Shane Beamer's name first started popping up, I was like, oh, somebody's got some friends. But yeah. it's. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's no way to know how a hire is going to work out. There's no formula for finding a coach who's going to be successful. It's just looking at Shane Beamer's resume and what he's done and then comparing it to some of the other guys who were candidates for the job. Or if we if, like if we just want to bring up Billy Napier, who, you know, on on Friday night picked up a big win of his own, finally getting the Appalachian State monkey off his back, getting the Mountaineers out of the way. He's going to be playing Coastal Carolina for the Sun Belt title. I just I look at that. I see that I see a guy who's taken over a program who which was already, to be fair, in pretty good position that he took over. But he's what, in at pr- Louisiana. Yeah. From a, they 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 had hit a couple losing seasons. Yeah, but they weren't they, they weren't like doormat level though. Like there was enough, there was at least a decent foundation there for him to build on, and he did a good job of building it up, changing the culture, and making it one of the top programs in the Sun Belt and a team that you know was playing for a conference title the last few years and was kind of reaching that spot where it was expected to again this year, and it is. And I see that a guy that's been that's already shown an ability to do that. And to me, if I'm in charge of making the hire, that's more appealing to me than Shane Beamer, who maybe, you know, the donors, my donors like, my former players like, and that's great. And I guess, you know, obviously they're going to have an influence over you if, if your job, you know, if the donors at your school are going to have an influence over what you do because, you know, you, you want them to keep giving you the money that you need. So, but I just, it's, yeah, I was, I, 
I, I, I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit at this one, but again, this Shane Beamer could be great for South Carolina. So I don't know. There is one position that I would understand, um, and it is that I do think Will Muschamp upgraded some infrastructure. I think he did a good job of coming in and pointing at some things and being like, all right, so these are ways that uh, that we can change our facilities. These are ways that we can change some of the details. These are ways we can probably uh, make some money go far. You know, not a big investment like we're going to change our whole stadium, but investments in some of the other facilities. And, and I really think that under Will Muschamp, South Carolina has improved in that area. So I will hear an argument for saying I would rather take someone like a Shane Beamer who at least has the experience at those kind of programs than I'm going to give it to Jamie Chadwell or I'm going to give it to Billy Napier. Though, hold on. Well, Napier's got experience. I was going to say, yeah, as soon as I say it, Alabama, Clemson, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jamie Chadwell, I guess, is the example that probably had me going down this road. The idea for Shane Beamer being we have upgraded all the tools and he has been somewhere where all of these tools have been available. He'll understand how to utilize them. I'll hear that argument. I will give Shane Beamer that at least as he starts his South Carolina tenure. It's just so like, it's so maddening to me that to hear like just the, the idea of like, first of all, I am not saying that Shane Beamer is, is a, is a bad hire because he's just a special teams coordinator. Like, I'm just saying if you're going to sort of say we're not making a de- another defensive hire that that and then you go and hire a special teams coordinator like to me that is that indicates some sort of uh baseline misunderstanding of of like how to hire a coach like you should be hiring the best coach to build the best culture within your building and if it's Shane Beamer then great but then, like, why are we even saying we're pulling this like narrative of no defensive coaches? Like, you can you can find a defensive coach like that isn't Will Muschamp. Like, not, just because Will Muschamp didn't work, I mean, they all don't work. I just I'm sort of on a kick right now with that because it, it just it's just like a frustrating viewpoint. It's like, what are we doing? Like, there's great defensive coaches everywhere that are head coaches right now. But athletic uh, directors might also just be throwing out that line to just give some candy to sell like a, a like a certain set of like the fan no, base. Be, be, no, because I, I've I heard f- like back channel that that like if you're a defensive coach, like need not apply to that, Ugh, to that job. Gross. Okay. So like if Nick Saban had applied, they'd be like, sorry, coach, we're looking to go a different direction. <laughs> we don't, we don't like your kind around here. They may have let Nick in the door. I don't know. <laughs> Would they have taken Gary Patterson? Would they have taken him before he took down Oklahoma state at home? Is that a segue? No, not at all. I was just, I, I tried to come up with the first like defensive coach that came to mind. TCU getting it done on the GD field just happened to be on, on the mind. And I'm not pro, I'm, I'm not pro defensive coaches either. I'm just like, like, I think one of the appeals of Jamie Chadwell, the offense is great. The offense is nice. But I think point number one of why Jamie Chadwell is an intriguing candidate is the way those guys play for each other, like the energy that they have, the, 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 the excitement and enthusiasm that they bring to the field. Like that is an in indication of a really good culture. And so uh, I, I just think that's the kind of thing people should be looking at. 
Coming up on the other side, we take a look at some of the biggest results from throughout the weekend. And again, an apology for Iowa State. Next. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. So I'm not going to be that apologetic with my apology. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that sometimes when you have to sell your case, I will not apologize for thinking that Iowa State played poorly against Texas and that they did not look like a great team, that uh, they were fortunate to win that game. And I feel like in my analysis of Iowa State, I was mostly overlooking, was it the Kansas State game that was 45 to nothing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just an absolute thumping. And like the offense was clicking 100%. I maintain, even as Brock Purdy had a couple touchdowns in this game, that Brock Purdy still to this day, as Iowa State clinches the spot in the Big 12 championship game, doesn't feel like the Brock Purdy that was sold to me. I I feel like I'm still falling short of my expectations, and maybe that is my fault for not adjusting my expectations, but Iowa State total team win, absolutely running it against West Virginia, 42 to six Oklahoma, not as impressive 27, 14 against Baylor. Uh, how do we feel about the big 12 picture right now? Well, I, I do think today was Brock Purdy's best game of the year because like the reason I was on the under in this game and I was on West Virginia was because the matchup wise, this was an Iowa state team to me that was kind of, you know, run heavy and dependent on Brees hall all season long because Brock Purdy, Purdy hadn't had a great season and West Virginia defensively was very good against the run and, you know, regular metrics, advanced metrics, anywhere you looked, they were one of the top defenses and they actually did do a decent job of limiting Brees Hall. They held him to 4.4 yards per carry, even though he finished with 97 yards and a touchdown, he wasn't able to get really going with big runs. And as a team, Iowa state only averaged 5.4 yards per carry. But it was Purdy going 20 or 23 for 247 yards and three touchdowns who really kind of stepped up and made a lot of big plays for them. So I think if Brock Purdy plays well, I mean, watching Oklahoma tonight as well against Baylor, who defensively is tough and they could be a pain in the butt for anybody. And they've shown that at times. But like this was an Oklahoma team that we'd spent the last few weeks talking about being a team that was really kind of the one of the best teams in the country. And it was just flying under the radar because it had two losses and nobody was paying attention to it. Tonight, Oklahoma still looked fantastic defensively, but that could also be Baylor not being great on offense. It was just offensively, they kind of looked a little, you know, like there was a hitch in the giddy up, kind of like we'd seen earlier in the year where it just wasn't smooth. It wasn't efficient. And you're just kind of scratching your head compared to what you usually see from Oklahoma. So like if that Oklahoma offense shows up to the Big 12 title game and Brock Purdy that played today shows up to the Big 12 title game, Iowa State could get Oklahoma and win the Big 12 title. I mean, it's, I think they're good enough. I think they are. I think Oklahoma, um, 
I don't. I don't think Oklahoma is a playoff team after this weekend. No, mm-hmm. only because they needed to. Like they couldn't blink. Like mm-hmm. they needed to. They needed to continue to rattle off blowout win after blowout win after blowout win. So now, I think the Big Twelve is out of the playoffs. It probably were anyways, but I, I was continuing to hold out this sort of possibility of Oklahoma making a dark horse run, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen anymore, especially now that like no other teams are really losing. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Iowa state is, um, I think they could win it. I kind of hope they do. Like, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, it would be fun. It'd be fun to see Iowa state win a, win a big 12 championship before Matt Campbell heads off to Michigan. Iowa State. <laughs> you just sneaked that in there. <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've been passing along the photoshops. Like, <laughs> I, you you know, I'm in. So, Iowa State fans, this is supposed to be an apology, and now I'm telling you that I'm going to send your head coach off. <sighs> we can't. We can't or Texas. That's the other option. Campbell to Texas. I, I don't think you can fire Tom Herman after you hang I, sixty I, plus. I don't think I don't think Tom Herman is going to get fired. Really? Unless, unless, well, well, hold on, hold on. And by the way, this is speculation. This isn't this isn't reporting. Um, but I, I I think if you if you don't have like if you have Urban if you have Urban lined up, then yes, Tom Herman is gone. If you don't have Urban Meyer lined up. What do you what are you gonna what, like? What's your game plan here? Matt Campbell might be a good hire. Yeah, Kelly no, Napier's I mean, still available. I mean, because you know that's like the old uh, Lance Leipold play is like he's just a football coach, right? I mean, he just yeah. in, any division, any level guy, just he knows how to coach football. Let the yeah. other cooks do their job, and let Matt Campbell just go coach football. Do you yeah, think? There's any part of Matt Campbell that would like maybe just say no to that? Yes. yes. Right. I th- yeah, I, I do. So yes, I do too. I think there's a part of Matt Campbell who might say no to Michigan. Yeah, but Michigan. It's not maybe, the same thing as Texas. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I feel like Michigan is a, is a little more up his alley. Yeah. Um, but, like it's Ohio State or Notre Dame. Well, I think it's just, I think it's like Texas is just such a. It's like this monstrosity that you have to tame. And I think Matt Campbell, so the person that's the, the, the great Texas hire is the, you know, is this, this like beast tamer. And I think Matt Campbell's more of a football coach that wants to just sort of be able to recruit three stars if he wants to and build a culture the way he wants to without the heat on his neck for like, oh, you went nine and three this year. Like that's not, that, that's not how things work around here. I just think, I just wonder if he's, if he's down for that. So I don't know these circles, but I think that's where you have to t- look at Chris Del Conte and just like wonder if like, is the, does it take the right athletic director coach combination or is there a, an assistant athletic director? Is there some other person in that power combination that can, make things a little bit easier. That's been one thing that I've always found fascinating is the maybe, maybe not always the people that hold those, those top line positions, but you start to realize like the first time I realized uh, about Mark Pantone 
you know, like I, I didn't know about him from the jump. You know, it wasn't like when he was hired or when uh, I, I automatically understood what his importance was going to be. Like Mark I, Pantone, the director of player personnel for Ohio State. Yeah. For, those that, for, the, the, for the uninitiated. Like when, when, when I finally realized the importance of people like that, that's when I wonder if Matt Campbell could thrive at a place like Texas as long as there's some Mark Pantone's out there. I mean, some Larry Johnson's. Larry Johnson's stepping up today. Getting that dub, you saw they were also down. Greg Madison, they were also they were down three other assistant coaches in addition to twenty three players. That was that, I that thought was, Ohio State did its job, man. Yeah, yeah. good. Needed to see that out of Ohio State. So can we stop now? With can we what? stop with the I don't know how good Ohio State is or if it deserves to be in the top four stuff? I mean, yeah, we can like that that addressed some of those objections, sure. I think that they were fair because they had four games under their belt. Now they yeah. got five. But, I just, but, <laughs> but I, yes, that game. Yeah. Like that's the whole, that's what I, we've been waiting to see. I just feel like today was a vindication for them though, because there had been so much talk and I've talked about it. I felt like they were being punished for not beating Indiana by enough. And today they come out missing three fifths of their offensive line, bunch of players in the secondary coaches, and they just absolutely spank Michigan State. And by the way, while that's going on, the Indiana team that they only managed to beat by a touchdown smothered Wisconsin in its sleep and put it to You know what I mean? Like Indiana turns out pretty good. And Ohio State struggled with them, but they got past it. It's like, I don't know. I, I just felt like the last few weeks, there's been so much attention focused on Ohio State only beating Indiana by seven while we've been ignoring other playoff contenders and teams that people are kind of putting above the Buckeyes saying, well, they probably deserve it more like they haven't struggled in similar games. So it's, I just want today to shut everybody up pretty much. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. But I think, look, we needed Indiana to have that game against Wisconsin. We needed, we needed Ohio state to have that game against Michigan state because you, you can still retroactively poke a lot of holes in Ohio state's resume. And, and of course, that's fine. That's that's that shouldn't be a big deal, except for the fact they'd only played four games or whatever. Four, yeah, four games. So the teams that have played ten and have a couple of close calls along the way, then that's that's a little bit different. So I think. Oh, I, but I'll ask you this then, and we can maybe use this as a segue into the next thing. How many games did you really need to see Ohio State to play before you were convinced it's better than Texas A and M? Well, that's fair. I mean, a Texas A&M, man, like that, that they're on the flip side. Like you just want, I mean, just give me something, Texas A&M. Just get, like make, like. Are you make, not impressed at try, all? I try thought they, to make an argument. I thought they played well though. It, eliminate yeah, today, eliminate yeah. their college football playoff contention. Eliminate us trying to like measure them against the top four but teams that's, in but the that country. That's what we're doing. I know no, they did play well. They did play well. If you aren't, if you aren't engaging in that discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like in just generally speaking, Texas A&M look good. They win football games. Like yeah, they, their, off, their offense was clicking today. What well, didn't look like it did last week against LSU. That's a good thing. Like they had, they um, ran the ball for like more than 300 yards or like seven yards per carry. And, and you know what? Kellen Mond didn't do anything through the passing game because they were like, okay, you can't stop this. We're just going to keep running it at you. And it worked. 
Look, I'll say this. I'll say this. Texas A&M, Texas A&M doesn't look a whole lot different week in, week out than Notre Dame. I think that that's, that's probably their best case is the fact that like Notre Dame does this some ugly stuff too. Notre Dame, you know, beats Louisville 12-7. Notre Dame, I mean, and... I would and say so, Notre Dame does it at a higher level and I would say that Notre Dame has more impressive wins. Well, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying if, if you are... I mean, I'm not arguing that Texas A&M is better yeah. than Notre Dame or has a better res- resume. I'm just saying that if, you, if you're looking for like your best case... I mean, Florida is basically A&M just argument. like North Carolina, right? I mean, in terms of value. <laughs> That's, I'm not on board with that. <laughs> no, I, get, I, get, I get what you're saying. I mean, yeah, it's the difference. The biggest difference, obviously, is that Texas A&M has that, what, 24-point loss to Alabama on its resume. But it's just... Yeah, they they played well today, and that's fine. But it's like when we were on HQ on Friday, like I said that this was the team that I was most like the game I was interested in watching because as far as Texas A&M being a good team, I'm already convinced Texas A&M is a good team. It's just as far as Texas A&M being a playoff team, I needed to see them start beating the hell out of somebody because that's really just something that they haven't done and shown a penchant for doing all season long. And I felt like this game against Auburn was their last real chance to do it against somebody that's good enough that it would impress anybody. So I, I think that today was a good win and I think that they played very well. I just don't think a 31 to 20 win over Auburn is going to cause anybody in that committee in a couple weeks when A&M is not getting a chance to play in the SEC title game to sit around and say, yeah, I'm convinced that team's better than whatever this other team we're considering. I think that it just kind of clinched the fact that they're going to be left out. What do we think about uh, Tennessee kicking in that back? Oh, I sucked. <laughs> that was brutal. Uh, that's a, that's two weeks in a row. I've lost an SEC backdoor cover. Um, I mean, I don't know what to, I mean, nothing was surprised. Obviously nothing that was surprising about that game. Um, uh, nothing changed with Tennessee with Harrison Bailey and he had one pretty good drive, which was for, for a scoring drive. But aside from that, it was sort of the same old Tennessee offense. And um, I don't know. They did better than most, maybe even containing Florida defensively, but not good enough. And Jeremy Pruitt was was very candid in his post-game presser and acknowledging that he's just – they're too far apart from the team that they're supposed to be – that they where they want to be. Uh, he's 0-9 against Georgia, Florida, Bama. And those are the teams he's, he has said he needs to be beating in this job. So got a hell of a long way to go still. Here's a question for you from this game. What is the uh, passcode to the Hugh freeze at Tennessee zoom meeting that is happening in like 10 minutes? No, but it's not though, because you know, he's going to get at least one. He's going to get one more year. Okay. So next, but but that's but here but the Hugh Freeze. The Did Hugh we talk Freeze, about this? Um, that's the like the Lane Kiffin play. Like Lane Kiffin, first year at FAU, gets a lot of buzz. Second year at FAU, doesn't even matter like how FAU finishes. He's already hot, and so it's like, <laughs> so like Hugh Freeze has already done his job with Liberty with the season that gets him hot. It's like next season they could be seven and five or eight and four, but it's Hugh Freeze from Liberty. I, 
Here's my question about this game. Kyle Trask threw four touchdowns, all right? None of them went to Kyle Pitts. So I ask you, is Kyle Trask deliberately not throwing touchdowns to Kyle Pitts to make sure that Pitts doesn't help split the vote for his Heisman and enhance his own Heisman case? No, because I watched a lot of that game, and uh, I think that Trevon Grimes got a lot of advantage from Kyle Pitts being double-covered in red zone situations. All right. Well, do we want to start that conspiracy anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Is there trouble with the Super Swamp Brothers? Devonta Devonta Smith has a a lead in my Heisman straw poll over Kyle Pitts for non-quarterbacks winning the Heisman Trophy. So, you know, like when you, um, when you catch on to like a band before they're hot and like you, you're like, you're, you become like, you listen to all their, their songs, their, get all their albums and then they go mainstream and the music's just as good, but now like everyone likes them. So you kind of like, now you kind of like, well, maybe I should, like, I don't know. Do I really want to like this team anymore? This 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 band. It's a little bit what I feel like right now. Like everyone, it's like the cool thing to do to talk about Devontae Smith for Heisman. So I don't know, but I, but this is what this is what I've been trying to do is get this mainstream. Can I at least get like some like like a tip of, like a tip of the cap for 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 getting out in front of this three weeks ago? I'll I'll sign your name to my Heisman ballot. <laughs> Hey, where are you at, Tom? Give us a hint. Can you give us a hint? I I can give you the same hint I gave you last week. I, I think that a wide receiver will win a Heisman Trophy before another running back does. Mm. I, I I do feel like this this is this got him into like the 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 pre-made Heisman graphics. Tom even sent it to our our cover three thread. The pre-made Heisman candidate graphics that they're running under every game, like Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and Zach Wilson, and Zach Wilson. Ian Bookstat. Did you see the Ian Bookstat? Though? <laughs> Career wins. <laughs> QB wins ten. <10. laughs> Why did they put the career wins number up there? Why did they show that Ian Books an undefeated fifteen and zero, perfect as a starter at Notre Dame Stadium? Why didn't they show how Ian Book has led to wins in what thirty three of the last thirty six Notre Dame football games? Come on, I just think we, uh, I think we got a chance to start getting Devontae Smith on like those those graphics. Don't you think? I think he should already be on the graphics. Yeah, I mean, of course. But I'm saying, do you think? I think he's starting to get mainstream a little bit. Yeah. No, I think. I mean, I, if he to go pop, I think. I think he's the best college football player in the country. I, I think too. if he has, because the thing too, like Alabama has not played in an important game in a while. Like they've just been beating the hell out of everybody. So I feel like if he has a big game against Florida, the SEC title game done, it's it's really going to start before we move on from Alabama though. Shout Mm -hmm. out to Chicago kid, Jaleel Billingsley, who's having a really good season for the tide had another big game tonight, four catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. Alabama continues to surge away from the pack. We're going to have, uh, at least two blowout playoff games, I think. What's in the two three? 
What's what are the teams that are going to be in the two three? Yeah, Ohio uh, State and the winner of the ACC title game. So who's the other blowout? The loser of the ACC I'm saying, title game. I, I'm saying the blowouts are going to be the two games Alabama plays. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so the championship too. Right. Yeah. Who's going who's to run with those guys right now? I was ca- I, I was catching what you were putting down. No, I and and, and, I, and, and, and hey, like um, Will Anderson is out of control. Is a beast. Christian Harris is playing well tonight as well. I mean, the, the defense is defense is as fun to watch as the offense sometimes. Yeah, but that was against LSU. And I say this as someone who came out on a lock with LSU plus 29 and a half. But like... At what point did you get nervous about that? When that when Nick Saban the said... The first that, quarter? When Nick <laughs> no, Saban. no, no, no. I felt fine. I felt better because we had a couple answers. There, were, there was the one to get us to 10 and the one to get us to 17. That both, I was like, ooh, okay. I start running some math in my head. You know when you do that live calculator watching the college football game? Yeah, I, I did not do that uh, once we started to get a little bit deeper into the fourth quarter. But I mean, they were covering the spread by halftime, Chip. <laughs> it was a 29-point spread, and they had that thing covered at halftime. Chip was just counting on a back door. <laughs> back door never came. <laughs> You needed Jared Shroud to get in there to toss a touchdown. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Uh, what else from the notepad? Uh, let me see here. Congratulations to you on winning the lock fight. Wolfpack. Chip. Uh, <sighs> Did you watch you much? Hmm? Did you watch much? Yeah, I had it on a second screen the entire time because it was a lock fight and there was money on it. <laughs> so I was watching it. Yeah, that was, you know, NC State. I had some NC good State fo- fans. Good football team. Good football team. Yeah. Great, great team. I didn't say great team. I said good football team. Very, very good. Very good. Yeah. When they got that point differential up to 15 now. When they, when they wanted to get it done, they lean on that offensive line and the running game. Ricky Person Jr., Bam Knight, like they they've had something going there for a couple years now. They get they get high school tight ends and uh, shout out to uh, Aleem the Dream McNeil. He announced prior to the game he was going to be going pro, so this was his senior night of sorts. Sanderson High School. Dude was a linebacker in high school. Now he's a freaking defensive tackle who might be going to the NFL draft. It was a it was a it was a nice way to round out a very very successful season for NC State. Uh, shout out to Tom Arth, Kyle Chandler, Coach Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Akron put a beat down on Bowling Green today. The Bowling Green thing is just it's not even fun anymore. They're it's too sad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> they need to just like they, yeah, they're just too bad. Like I was really enjoying that game for a while because it was three to three, like through the first quarter and into the second quarter. And it was just kind of like a, it was like everything that that game was supposed to be. 
And then Akron just zip turned it on. They blocked like they scored a touchdown to go up ten to three. The next possession, Bowling Green got you know stopped deep in its own territory. Akron blocked a punt, recovered it in the end zone, and like so in the blink of an eye, it's gone from three to three to seventeen to three, and then it was just done from there. It was it was sad because I was enjoying it. I'll tell you the game that I didn't watch enough of that may have been the game of the day was that Arkansas-Missouri game. Mm -hmm. I kind of got a little wind of of how things closed in that one, but I never really got a steady watch on it. But it seemed like it was a pretty awesome game. I was live blogging Ohio State. Totally missed it. Did you get anything on it, Tom? I got the last minute and a half when everybody on Twitter was like, oh, so I saw the Arkansas touchdown at the end. I saw the crazy two point conversion. And then I saw Mizzou march down the field and get the game winning field goal. So the minute and a half, two minutes I saw were great. Two, two good coaches right there. Drinkwitz and uh, Pittman. Those are two good hires. That's going to be a fun rivalry for the next few years. I think they fight for the boot, right? That's Louisiana. That's right. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Arkansas and Mizzou have a trophy yet. I think it's maybe called the Battle Line Trophy. It should be like a. It should be a like a moonshine still. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else. Nebraska I'm- won. Uh, look out! Here comes Scott Frost. Uh, Penn State won. Penn State kicked Rutgers' butt. Penn State's finally starting to look like Penn State. Cal. Yeah, did we talk about that yet? We, we mentioned it in passing. I mean, I feel cheated. Oregon, let me down. You know, you know why Oregon lost? Because it wore gray uniforms. And I tweeted about this. Like, it's stupid, I know, but Oregon came to relevance because, like, Nike put all the money into it and they started putting out, like, their shiny, brand new uniforms every single week where they're wearing bright green and bright orange and shiny chrome and silver and all this stuff. And then today they come out in gray. And, like, I liked it. The uniforms looked good. Don't get me wrong. But I just feel like gray uniforms go against everything that Oregon has been for the last 20 years. So, I'm going to blame the uniforms for this one. It's fair. Stern, <laughs> but fair. Sometimes you just <laughs> got to be honest with them. You know, you got to tell them how it is. All right. Before we get out of here, letter grade Shane Beamer to South Carolina. Oh, no, man. I can't do these letter grades. Uh, yeah, I can't do it because C+. plus. <laughs> C plus is the grade I give with instead of just going. So I, give, I give it. Um, I give it pu- puzzling. <laughs> <laughs> puzzling. Oh, another quick shout out to Kansas for kind of almost winning a game today. Hey, um, shout out to the over army for all the good uh, recommendations on the overs. Y'all are all um, court-martialed uh, because <laughs> None your of recommendations sucked. 
Uh, I did well, the one I played coastal BYU didn't hit this. The one that came in second was Texas tech, Kansas, which didn't get close to hitting, Mm-mm. um, producer Coca on the Marshall, <laughs> Marshall rice, and then got pissed at me for not taking it. And that, that came like 30 points from hitting, um, they pretty much all were misses guys. So I need you to go back to the drawing board. Does it make you feel under, does it make you feel better to see the under collapse in, uh, what was it? The, it was in West Virginia, Iowa state. No, we got that one because of the sad field goals. Oh yeah. Um, no, uh, Kansas state and Texas. I'm sorry. Yeah. That one was horrible. Yeah. But you know what? That was one of those, like where when, when you lose an under like that one, that's just like, okay. Like I don't even even feel bad about that pick. That's just, that's one of those like outlier games. Cause like when the game goes that far over or below a total, even Vegas was wrong. So why should you feel bad? Um, And Barton sit back and enjoy the freshman slug fest between Deuce Vaughn and uh, B. John Robinson. And Barton did get his uh, under 51 and a half or under 52 in TCU. Never doubt Oklahoma State. Yeah. yeah. Your over army. How did it lead you? And what did the under do? Just just nursed you right there to a victory. Sometimes you got to make alliances with with certain folks for the greater good of the war. <laughs> oh. <laughs> one one final shout out to a team that was forgotten by its conference and I don't want to join the the, the parade there. Nice job, Miami. Completely yeah. pointless at this point, but nice job. <laughs> <laughs> so first, hold on. I think it's the first shutout conference win since like 01. Yeah. This is a really this is like a um like Miami just beat Duke 45 to nothing to finish this season what 9 and 1. I uh, think they still have to play next week though, don't they? Yeah, they got North Carolina. Okay. <laughs> they could lose that game. They could. <laughs> but to this point this has been the the mo- like everyone's been just like begging Miami to get good again and all of a sudden they're like yeah, one of the best teams in the country, but no and one's even talking about them. Care about them. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even want them to try. Like, there's like, thanks, thanks, Miami. Now we're gonna we change this. the schedule to make sure that you can't play for the conference championship. And 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 meanwhile, Derek King's gonna be gone next year, and who knows if Miami's gonna be good again? Maybe they will, but this is sort of an opportunity for Miami to be a big deal, and there's they're not. I saw someone, I feel like someone made the case that like Miami fans will treasure Derek King probably even more than the college football hipsters who liked him as Houston's quarterback, you know? Well, yeah, that's just like, that's just Barton's band theory there about Devontae Smith's Heisman campaign. It's like, you really liked Derek King before he became cool and popular. Now you're like, yeah, I'm more of a Grayson McCall guy. Yeah, but like, that's exactly right. But like the Miami fans are the bandwagon fans who only been listening to G105, the pop station and had no idea about your three albums you released before you signed with Epic Records. And like (laughs) now we're finally dialed in. And I think that track four is the best because track four is where the radio single is like, like yeah absolutely Miami fans 
are going to love Derek King in a very special way. Um, Remember and- track numbers? <laughs> Remember when the- <laughs> I do. I absolutely do. Um, he is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Sir.